We have all had a moment where we have compared ourselves and what we have to others and their possessions. But what happens when we cross the line and actually steal things? In this episode of Groundwork, we're going to look at the Eighth Commandment and some of the implications of stealing. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And we have been, Scott, in a series on the Ten Commandments, and we've covered a lot yeah. in these episodes. We're going to look at the Eighth Commandment today. And here it is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. God is speaking to God's people, and in the original deliverance of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, God had just rescued the people from Egypt, and the plan was, it ends up being delayed as it turns out, but the plan was that very soon God was going to settle them into a good land, into a promised land, the land of Canaan, land of flowing with milk and honey. So God is moving them from a time of oppression and slavery when they had nothing to a time when God is going to provide a lot. And, yes. and that's why God is doing the talking to say, in a sense, he's saying, you shall not steal. And in a sense, he's saying, because you're not going to have to. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's actually a verse that talks about how God had them borrow yeah. from the Egyptians, all the gold, all this stuff. And then that debt that they had from borrowing was supernaturally canceled when the drowned in the Red Sea. And so they had more than what they needed, which is makes stealing absurd in this situation. But I think, Scott, it'd be helpful if we came up with a working definition of stealing just to make sure we're all on the same page. And I would define stealing as uh, wanting what someone else has and then taking the action in your own hands to get it for yourself. Right. Now, we're going to talk later uh, in this series. In fact, the 10th commandment will talk about coveting. And when you covet your neighbor's speedboat, you want a boat like that. And maybe you'll work to be able to afford to buy one. I don't know. But you, you covet. You want one like that. But sometimes in envy and in greed – Two other deadly sins, right? Yeah. We cross the line from wanting something like that to wanting that one. I don't want my neighbor to have that. So in envy, we usually say, his having that big boat makes me feel diminished because I only got a rowboat. So I'm going to go steal his boat or I'm going to set his boat on fire. So he, he doesn't have it either. Or you say, so I'm just going to take it. I'm going to steal it. He won't have it, but I will, right? That's sort of the heart of theft. It's not just sort of longing that, oh, I wish I had that nice of a car. It's moving beyond that to say, so I'm going to take that one. <laughs> it's going to become mine by force. Yeah, you just named that stealing has a few different tentacles to it. And I was thinking about how these things manifest themselves. Like we've read stories about businesses and corporations that there's an idea, but they didn't create the idea. They stole the idea and then they made millions off of it. So they become a successful empire and they stole the original idea for that. And there's other situations like it too. If So there are kids who are in a school project together and one of the kids is not doing their work, but and when they get the A, that's the kid that's the loudest to say, look at the work we did. Yeah. It gets all the glory for the work that wasn't done. And they didn't put their work in. So it's interesting how people steal different things for different reasons. Yeah, we've heard this term in more recent times, and sometimes uh, it comes up with even whole nations like uh, the U.S. and China. We hear this term intellectual property. Oh, yeah. To steal an idea 
can be really, really bad. To steal an idea, to steal the concept for a movie, and there was a lot of back and forth. I, I remember I, I've read the story. Uh, whose idea was Facebook? Was it really right. Mark Zuckerberg, or did you know, other friends give him the idea and he took it? Who who came up with Microsoft? Was it right. really Bill Gates? Who? What about Apple? Was it really just Steve Jobs? So there is competition for ideas even. So the, you can steal, apparently, almost anything. We usually think of stealing a loaf of bread or a car or a piece of jewelry, but even ideas and concepts can be stolen from one person to the other. Even property that is not physical property can be counted in that because it belongs to someone else. And they have all types of paperwork now to try to track these things. But in the situation with the believers in Israel, they had all they needed and more. And so it really doesn't make much sense to steal in that situation. Stealing doesn't just hurt the person who's stealing. It hurts the relationship of the person that you steal from. And so it's really crazy how you see you just said earlier that stealing is connected to envy or jealousy or these other things. It's kind of like a multi. It sprawls in a few yep. different directions. It's yep. not just by itself. And, you know, you wonder sometimes what motivates somebody to steal. Well, sometimes it's fear. Somebody genuinely fears he isn't going to be able to get enough food for his kids. Yeah. Right. And so he takes matters into his own hands and, and steals. That's not a good solution, but you can understand that fear sometimes. Sometimes it's just lazy. Oh, I could get a job and work hard to be able to buy that, you know, DVD player or that Blu-ray player. But sure, it's a lot easier just to lift it, you know, out of Best Buy and, and, and sneak it out the store. Other times it's entitlement. And here the advertising industry always says, you deserve, you deserve. You have the right you, to this. You, yeah, you deserve to drive a Lexus. You deserve to have the best whatever. And some people take that and say, yeah, I do deserve that, but I can't afford it, so I'll get it through some other way, which is often involving um, theft. So I think, you know, fear, laziness, uh, entitlement, I think they all have one common antidote, and it might be nurturing uh, a sense of contentment. Yeah, and, and now that you said that, it reminds me of this verse in Philippians 4 where Paul writes about contentment, verses 10 to 13. It says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength." And again, Paul was writing this from prison, right? Uh, the Philippians is one of the prison epistles, yes. Daryl. And so he is in a situation of want. <laughs> he is in a situation of deprivation. And yet from that cell, he's able to write these wonderful words about contentment. And as we're going to see as we talk more about this, Daryl, a lot of that contentment that Paul's talking about there, that has a whole lot to do with how much we trust God. Right? Yes. So it's really important for us to understand that because Paul was trusted in God's providential care, and we'll talk more about this, he was able to be content. And I believe that contentment can actually kill stealing at the root. So let's get into that deeper as we go into this episode. Stay tuned for the next part. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. 
Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. This is an eight-part series on the Ten Commandments. We can do it in eight because we covered the first three commandments in episode one. So now we are in the sixth episode, but on the eighth commandment, you must not, thou shalt not steal. And we've we've said, Daryl, we've defined stealing as indeed seeing something somebody else has or seeing something that you don't have, even if it's on a store shelf, and deciding you have to have that. But you don't want to go through the hard work to get it the regular way or the usual way. You want that, so you're going to find a way to take it. Or your neighbor's got a boat. You don't want a boat like it. You want that boat, and so you're going to steal it. But we also said, uh, Daryl, that a lot of this comes because we don't trust God. We're fearful. We're lazy. We're entitled. But one way or the other, we're not content. We'd be content if we trusted in God, as Paul wrote in that verse from Philippians that you registered a little while ago. When we take matters into our own hands, you mentioned this, that we usually don't trust God in that situation. We try to make a solution for ourselves. And Jesus actually teaches about what the importance of treasures are and putting it in the rightful place in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, verses 19 and 21, he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I love Jesus' connection between treasure and heart. He's trying to make sure that they don't put their stuff in situations here where they can be stolen. But I mean, ultimately, we know Jesus is the treasure, right? But the problem is, is that we have sometimes allowed culture and society to tell us what the priorities and treasure should be. And then our hearts become attached to those things, which leads to some stealing at some point. I do kind of like it here that in one sense, uh, we read that verse from Matthew 6 to encourage ourselves to be content and to have our highest treasure in Jesus in heaven so that we're not tempted to steal. But Jesus turns it around and say, because if your highest treasure is what's in the uh, closet where you're keeping your mother's jewelry, somebody might come in and steal that from you. Um, So, you know, you shouldn't steal, but you shouldn't value uh, above all else something that somebody else might steal too. Put your treasure in heaven where nobody can get at it because it's eternally secure. So, you know, contentment, trust in God. Those are the things that we need to keep in mind. And and also to recognize how much God values us. Because so much of the time, I think when people steal or when we're tempted to steal, what we want to say is, I'll feel better about myself if I have that. I will be somebody. I'll be the big guy in the block if I can have that. So there's some self-worth issues here. There's some self-esteem issues here, but it never works, right? I mean, you're never going to become a better person by stealing something, quite the opposite. But maybe if we said, you know what, I'm I'm a child of God. I'm a sinner saved by Jesus. I have eternal value already. I don't need a bigger car to have value. Maybe that would help too. And so you're touching on something that's really deep, Scott, because I think some of us, and we're probably ashamed to admit this, there have been times in my life where I've thought the value and the worth will come externally. 
And if I could go out there and grab that or if I could date that person or if I could do these things, grab these degrees, make this money, that it would bring value and worth to me. But that actually dismisses the point that God has already made us valuable and worth something to him. And because the pressures of society are always prevalent, bombarding us all the time, we have these pressures to think that we need to search outwardly to find that value when God has given it to us freely because he loves us. But I think there's another section about stealing that we haven't talked about, Scott, and it's actually the broken relationship that happens when when the person who is stolen from is affected. Years ago, I think it was after I uh, was in college, but uh, my parents, who at the time lived out in the countryside, came home one night to discover that they had been robbed. Window was broken and some of my mom's jewelry, including stuff she had got from her father, who died fairly young, but he had been a jeweler, stole a bunch of stuff, DVD player, stuff like that. Well, most of it was replaceable, but what couldn't be replaced was, particularly from my mom, her sense of security. Yeah. Right? Just could never quite feel secure again. They bought an alarm system eventually, but you know, what got stolen from them that night wasn't things. It was their sense of trust, their sense of safety. Those are the things that also get violated. One of the things God knows is that the covenant community of Israel and any community Things get ruptured on all sides when somebody steals. The thief does great harm to his or her own soul, but it also has all these other ripples of affecting those who are stolen from, and not just in the sense that, oh, shoot, now i got to buy another VCR. No, um, it's deeper than that. What you're touching on, Scott, is the fact that, and I have this theory, I believe this, Scripture teaches this, is that when you sin, something breaks. Yep. So either something broken in you or there's something broken in the relationship between you and God or between you and your neighbor. But there's always something that is broken and is desperately needs to be repaired. So, I mean, there are situations where I know people who and this isn't limited to people who struggle with addictions. But I've seen in situations where there are people who had addictive patterns and they end up stealing from the people that they love. And now they have to not just return what they stole, but the relationship is now pain. It's strained. It's awkward. It's really hard to work through. The repairing of the relationship takes more time than restoring that item that was taken. And it's really been painful in the situation. And when we're believers, we have a relationship with God who wants us to move away from trying to fulfill that need on our own. We want to trust the way the Lord can protect and provide for us. And again, you know, Daryl, there are so many different kinds of theft. If we looked at the classic reform document of the Heidelberg Catechism that we've referenced pretty often because it's got a really good section yeah. on the Ten Commandments, it points out that stealing isn't just uh, physical theft, but it's schemes and fraud, things made to look legit, which are really fraud. Back to my parents again, uh, not long ago, they unfortunately became victims of somebody who called them, convinced them they were somebody else, got them to give out a credit card number. Well, it was a scheme, and immediately they went out and started using that credit card. They didn't physically take anything from my parents, but they stole their information and and used it. And we also have hear about this thing these days, Daryl, called identity theft. There you go. And I was the victim of that during the pandemic. Somebody got a hold of my Social Security number and bilked the state of Michigan out of $6,500 in unemployment benefits under my name. Um, and it took forever to get it cleared up, of course, because uh, it was happening all over the place. But identity theft, uh, stealing credit card information, c- calling older people and exploiting their vulnerability by making it sound like you're a legit salesman when you're not, 
These are all forms of theft, too. And as we've just said, what they do is they disrupt community. They steal people's sense of trust. Uh, they unsettle people's souls. Great damage is done. And, and that takes a lot of time to undo. I think that we also need to distinguish, too, the difference between needs and wants. And if we could distinguish that, I think it would help us to actually discern whether we need to uh, trust in God or just leave it alone. But in this next segment, we want to talk about what it means to trust God and move away from stealing. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork, and this episode uh, is part of our series on the Ten Commandments, and we are at commandment number eight, thou shalt not steal. And Daryl, we've been talking about lots of different angles of this. We've talked about how very often for the thief, uh, it is a lack of trust in God to provide, a lack of trust that God cares and values who you are without your needing to get a bigger car or a better house or something. Uh, we've talked about different forms of theft, um, including, you know, fraud and, you know, telemarketers who, who pretend to be legit and then steal your credit card information. Or we just talked about identity theft even. And in all of it, we said it disrupts community. It disrupts for the thief. It disrupts your relationship with God, but it also disrupts your relationship with your community and it causes damage within the community because to be stolen from is highly unsettling. So we want to keep talking about that, but also to remind ourselves that indeed that providential care of God is so important. If we understood that better, then it would actually render stealing unnecessary. And back to the Sermon on the Mount again, and Jesus is speaking on this in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And then Jesus goes on, uh, familiar words, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor and spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And then he goes on to say, don't worry. You know, don't run around like the pagan and say, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So don't worry, uh, Jesus says. And I think, you know, in those words, Daryl, we hear an echo of a lot of what we've been talking about is the antidote to stealing, which is trust, contentment, as we saw from Paul earlier, and a belief that we don't have to worry. God's got us. And insofar as various forms of theft come out of great feelings of insecurity, here Jesus is saying you can feel secure because God loves you. God values you more than the birds and the flowers, and he takes care of them too. So rest in that. Yeah, and so the beautiful Reformed tradition theology of providential care means that not only has God created 
but God is in the process of taking care of and sustaining. If we look at Adonai Yireh, uh, Jehovah Jireh, as we call it in English, it doesn't mean that he just provided. It means that he actually oversees everything that he has created. Right. And that means he's going to take care of every need. He didn't say he was going to take care of every want, right. yep. but he did say he would take care of every need. And not only do we have what we need naturally, but we have what we need spiritually. Yep. And that is an important distinction. I mean, uh, in that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, you know, there's a line, you know, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. And, you know, secretly, sometimes I, I wish I could sing, all I have wanted, thy hand <laughs> hath provided, but that isn't true and it wouldn't be good for me anyway. But as Peter says, you know, the Apostle Peter in his second letter, Second Peter 1, verse 3, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So spiritually and naturally, God does provide. That doesn't mean we won't now and then encounter a season of some need. I mean, even Paul said, I have been in need. I have been hungry. I have been in, in distress. But God brings us out of it. And the fact of those things in our lives doesn't mean we've fallen out of God's loving hand. Yeah, and that's actually what makes stealing so bad, Scott, when we forget that God is continually caring for his creation and we're part of that creation. When we forget that he cares for the sparrow, he cares for the flowers, but we were worth more than they are. It really does show a lack of faith in God to be able to take care of us. And sometimes we get caught up in what society says is important. I love the quote by Paolo Picasso where he says, good artists borrow, but great artists steal. (laughs) And if we believe that in some fundamental way, then we're going to be moving away from what God has for us in our lives and his plan for us to trust in the fact that he takes care of us. But then... Scott, we need to talk about a little bit what it means to live this out. Right. And one thing is uh, doing something that I heard a friend of mine say recently that for 30 or more years now, he and his wife have concluded every day by naming 10 things that happened that day for which they're thankful. Oh, yeah. It's the old count your blessings, count them one by one, the old Sunday school song. But indeed, if you count your blessings one by one, you will see what the Lord has done. And you'll recognize the providential care you get every day, even on days that are not real great. My friend said we can always find 10 things. But secondly, we, we, we prioritize and recognize what we just talked about. We need to separate our wants from our needs. It's too easy to say that what I want is what I need. (laughs) Not true. So let's really see, you know, the difference. We might want a lot of things, and some of them aren't bad, but we don't need them. God will provide what we need. And he's constantly been faithful in that. And I think that we also need to look at, if we're thinking about stealing, then we need to think about the consequences first. I mean, getting that immediate gratification might be exciting, but there's always uh, something, there's a payment somewhere that is a consequence, whether you got to pay it back, whether you get locked up in jail, whether you broke a relationship with someone, you'll be able to look yourself in the mirror with integrity if you stole something from someone. How do you justify that? You shouldn't have to, because if you're walking in integrity, you won't be stealing. And the next thing that I think is important is that let's just say you have stolen. We're not going to be naive to the fact that that there are some people who have walked through this. I personally have times in my testimony that I'm I'm not proud to admit that I have stolen things or ideas. And we have to ask God for forgiveness in prayer and say, God, we've sinned against you. We sinned against one another and have to go to the other person. So sometimes you write a bad check. You got to go to the bank and make that right. There's a way to rectify what you've done wrong as well. 
there's an effective prayer found in Proverbs chapter 30 that is really cool, that really helps me. And it says, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. This verse helps me to not have asked for too much and not ask for too little, but to be in a situation where I could feel the contentment that Paul was referring to. As I remember Jesus' verse, give us this day our daily bread, the Lord's Prayer. God is faithful and he is with us. And in that, we do rest. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments with the discussion of the Ninth Commandment, Do Not Give False Testimony Against Your Neighbor. We have a website, groundworkonline.com. Visit it and tell us what Groundwork means to you. Make suggestions for future Groundwork episodes. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.